You know, if you study the Bible with an honest heart and you look for the person of Christ, you can't miss it. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, you find the footprints of Christ all through the scriptures. And you find in this passage here today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, what I call really a Christian's assignment. We are to make much of Jesus Christ. We are to lift him up. We are to glorify him. We are to honor him. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Thessalonians and the first chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to continue our study in this tremendous epistle written by the Apostle Paul around 52 or 53 A.D. There was a uh, general during the Civil War by the name of Lew Wallace. He was actually from uh, Indiana. He went on to become a, a territorial governor later on. But Lew Wallace was an atheist. He just had no time for the things of God. And he was challenged by a, f- a friend, a fellow atheist, to write a book that would debunk Jesus Christ. Prove once and for all he never existed. He was a, a myth. And so Wallace took the challenge and he went over to the Holy Land. He studied all the archaeological sites. He, he looked through the digs and uh, he looked through historical records and he even looked through the Bible. And as he did, he became a little bit more ardent in his study, a little bit more sincere in his search. And he came to a conclusion, and it wasn't that Christ was a myth. In fact, He said, it's really uh, unmistakable. There was a man by the name of Jesus Christ that lived, but he was more than that, just a man. Lew Wallace became convinced that he was the very Son of God, God the Son. He became a believer in Christ and a believer in the Word of God, and he died a saved man with his faith in Christ. You know, if you study the Bible with an honest heart and you look for the person of Christ, you can't miss it. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, you find the footprints of Christ all through the scriptures. And you find in this passage here today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, what I call really a Christian's assignment. We are to make much of Jesus Christ. We are to lift him up. We are to glorify him. We are to honor him. I want you to look for those expressions as we look at just these three verses here. In 2 Thessalonians 1, we're going to finish the chapter, beginning in verse number 10. It says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's really a mouthful in what we just read here. And as I looked at it here this past week or two, it dawned on me there's one central truth here, and it's, it's what I call a Christian's assignment. And that assignment, beloved, is to honor the Lord. We're going to be talking about that, but let's go to the Lord in prayer first, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you now for your word, and we thank you for these three verses impregnated with truth. And Father, we thank you now for the opportunity to dig 
and mine out these golden nuggets that we find here that talk about how precious our Savior is. And Father, I pray for all listening here at this time. Pray that uh, for God's people, the Savior would truly be precious, but for others who don't know him, he would become precious to them today. We ask that as your Son is lifted up, he would draw men unto him. And we pray it now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The text we just looked at a moment ago, there's, there's one thing unmistakable in it, and that is that it lifts up Jesus Christ, that it exalts his worthy name. We find that the Father exalts the Son throughout the Word of God. In fact, we read in Philippians 2 and in verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Christ, and given him, Christ, a name which is above every name. Notice the Father has exalted the Son. He's given him a name which is above every name. There's a church that I know about West, uh, and, and they have for a motto, making much of Jesus Christ. And I've thought of that many times. It would make a great church motto, making much of Jesus Christ. I remember an old-timey kind of a preacher that we had here in the early days when most of you weren't around, Dr. Melton. He's with the Lord now. But he got up to preach one time, and he said, we're going to brag on Jesus. We're going to brag on Jesus. And folks, we really need to do that. In fact, we cannot but do that as we look at a passage like we have before us here. You know, we find out that sometimes the wonder of Christ is lost if you've been saved any length of time. And it's easy for you and I to overlook just how wonderful he is. But, it, but if you think about it, the Bible says, John the Apostle said, the world itself cannot contain the books which should be written about the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. You know, there's somewhere over 7 billion people in the world today. The, the world is huge, and there's still lots of room. But, but if all the things that should be written about Christ are written, the world itself could not contain the things which should be written. By the way, I was reading this last week. You can fit nearly 1 million earths into the sun. Think about how huge the sun is. And the fact is, we have a, a small star in our sun compared to many of the other stars out there. But our so-called solar system is just a teeny part of the Milky Way galaxy. And there are billions of galaxies like this one here. And they say now that the, the universe is expanding. Can you understand that? I, I can't. I mean, it's already uh, so huge it has no walls. It goes on forever and ever and ever. But the Bible tells us this in John 1, 3 of Christ. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we've got this huge universe, and it was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything within it, there's, there's nothing that was made that he did not make. Imagine how awesome... The Son of God is. There was a philosopher by the name of Socrates who lived a few hundred years before Christ, and he taught for about 40 years. And uh, shortly after him, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Plato. He taught for about 50 years. And then there was another Greek philosopher by the name of Aristotle, and he taught for about 40 years. And yet you have the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a three-year ministry, and his three-year ministry would zenith and it eclipse and transcend the combined so-called ministries, 130 years of these other men together here. You know, Jesus Christ never painted a picture, and yet the greatest works of Raphael and Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo were about the Lord Jesus Christ. You find that the Lord Jesus Christ never wrote poetry, and yet Dante and, and Milton and, and uh, scores of other poets have written their best poetry about him. 
Jesus Christ never penned a song during his life, and yet the greatest masterpieces of Haydn and, and Hayden and, and Handel and, and uh, the greatest masterpieces of, of, of Mozart and uh, Mandelson and Beethoven and Bach and Brahms have been about the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest symphonies have been hymns of praise to him. Many years ago, Daniel Webster was at a high function in Boston with all the great minds of his time. They were talking about things, and the subject of Christianity came up. And Webster made it very clear he believed in the divinity of Jesus Christ, and he believed in the atonement of of his death on the cross. Of course, that was poo-pooed by the company he was in. One man said, Webster, can you actually believe that this person could be both man and God? And and Webster said, yes, I, I believe that. I cannot explain that. But he said, I have a God much greater than myself. And he said, I have a, a superhuman Savior, and that's the way I like it. You know, it was Webster who actually penned a letter to a preacher by the name of Worcester. And he said in it, I believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. The miracles which he wrought or worked established, he said, in my mind, his personal authority and render it proper for me to believe whatever he asserts. I believe, therefore, all his declarations, as well as when he declares himself to be the Son of God, as when he declares any other propositions. And I believe that there is no other way of salvation than through the merits of his atonement for sin on the cross. Amen, amen, and amen. I agree with Webster and what he had to say. Now, as we talk about the Christian's assignment, and we see it here in this passage, We see, first of all, what I call the Savior's wow. (laughs) The Savior's wow. The awe that we ought to have for him, the admiration that we ought to have for him, the fact that he is wonderful, he is marvelous. And we find out in verse number 10 here of our passage, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10, it speaks of Christ coming again when he shall come to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Here we have the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a a letter to the church at Thessalonica. And remember what he's trying to do. They're in heavy persecution, so it's a letter of comfort. He's trying to encourage them. He's talking a lot about the second coming of Christ, when it'll all be over with here. But he's trying to help them through the persecution. And folks, we have some present trials as well. We have some tribulation. We have some heartaches. We have some setbacks. And we have some things given to us here that would really help us to remember such times, to help us to get through those times. And the first one is what I I note here in verse number 10, two words. It says, when he shall come. Is Christ coming back again? You know, there are six times as many verses in the Bible that tell us he's coming a second time as there were verses that told us he would come the first time. Yes, he is coming back again, and and jot it down, good, plain, and straight in your heart and life. He shall come. We find when he ascended back up to heaven in Acts 1 and in verse 11, this, this man shows up and he said to the apostles, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Notice again another way of saying, shall come. Jesus Christ is coming back again. He gave us a promise. In John 14, 3, he said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice he's coming back again. 
He says, he's coming again. I will come again. And Paul here says in verse number 10, he shall come. But notice also in verse number 10, one word, glorified. He shall come to be glorified. What's that mean? If we glorify something, what are we doing with it? We're amplifying it. We're magnifying it. We're making it bigger. That's what we do when we glorify Christ. We make much of Jesus. Do we amplify him with our lives? Do we glorify him? Do we magnify him? Do we make much of him with the life in which we're living? Do we have the Savior's wow in our hearts right now even? You know, in Isaiah 9 and in verse 6, the Bible said of him, his name shall be called what? Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. His very name is Wonderful. He is to be glorified, according to verse 10. But notice another word in verse number 10. I find also the word admired. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired. Admired. Do we admire him? What does it mean to admire him? The Greek word here means to marvel at him and to wonder at him. Now, why should we admire him? Normally, if somebody is admired, they've done something to earn that admiration. What has Christ done that is so admirable? What is it that about him that makes us go, wow? Well, first of all, the fact he lived a sinless life. Any of you ever lived a sinless life? I haven't lived a sinless day. (laughs) I'm still trying. It's just not going to happen this side of heaven. But Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. We read in John chapter 8 and verse 46, He was able to say this, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? The truth of the matter is Christ never sinned. And he even challenged the folks of his day. Which of you convinceth me of sin? Point out my sin. Where is my sin? Of course, they couldn't point it out. There was no flaw, no fault in him, no problem with his character. Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 and in verse 15, For we have not an high priest, speaking of Christ, which cannot be touched with the the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What's that saying? It's simply saying he felt every temptation we feel, all that pressure from the world to buckle and knuckle under, and yet he never sinned. He was without sin. We admire him because he was sinless. We admire him, secondly, because of his power. You know, I spoke of the power he had to speak the universe into existence a moment ago. Before he ascended back up to heaven, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Can you imagine that? I mean, mean, the, the, the sun at any given second is like giving off zillions of nuclear explosions, if you can imagine that. And from 93 million miles away, it's still this hot. But imagine Christ having all power. To speak it into existence. All power, he said, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We admire him for that power. Thirdly, we admire him because of his love. His love is wonderful. Jesus Christ said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Do you love him because he died for you, friend? Because he gave his lifeblood for you? I admire him for that. I admire him for his faithfulness. Such faithfulness that took him all the way to the cross to die for us in Calvary's cross. He was that faithful. I I love him for that. I admire him for that. I admire him for his forgiveness. The forgiveness that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
and how he has forgiven me and how he has forgiven you time and time and time again. I admire him for that. I admire him for his personal sacrifice for us. You know, it should have been me on that cross dying for my own sin. It should have been you on that cross dying for your own sin. But he, he personally sacrificed his life for us. And it's time that we, we recognize the scope of all that he is and that we glorify him. And that we admire him. We take it too casually, don't we? We're often too cool and too casual and too cavalier about who Jesus Christ is. But he is absolutely wonderful. It's time to marvel and it's, it's time to admire him. We find here in verse number 10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. That's his saints. That's the born again. That's those of us who have placed our faith in the shed blood of of Christ. Have you done that? Have you had a time in your life when you put your trust in Christ and you called upon him and you were saved? Because not everyone is spoken of here. The saints are spoken of here. Either you're a saint or you ain't. I was in a various part of the world here recently, and I I was with the brethren, and I didn't understand a word they were saying. I, I was listening to three different languages that were foreign to me, and I was talking through an interpreter who interpreted it, and another interpreter who interpreted another interpreter, and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to spend forever with these guys in heaven. And the Bible mentions in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, John says, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And if we had more time, we'd see what they're doing. They're admiring him. They're praising him. They're glorifying him. These are the saints, the saints. And what makes them so special? Oh, they've been born again. Uh, they, they're part of that, that narrow crowd, that few. And this isn't the religious, by the way. There are a lot of people that are religious. And you can have a ton of religion, not an ounce of salvation. This isn't talking about being religious. This is talking about being saved. And giving glory and honor to the one who died for us to save us. These are the saints. These are special people here. Thanking the one who's given their life for them. Jesus is special to them. I hope he's special to you today. Now we also find here in verse number uh, 10 these words. Admired in all them that believe. Christ is good to be admired, admired in all them that believe. Believe in what? That's another thing you can have is faith, but faith in the wrong thing. Belief, but belief in the wrong thing. There are a lot of people, and they have a head knowledge of Christ. They believe in him. They're better off than Lou Wallace. At least they're not an atheist, but they're not saved. What is your faith in? What have you believed in? Believed in what? Believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross as the atonement for your sin? What are, you, what, what are you putting your faith and all your trust in today? Your baptism to get you to heaven? Your church membership? Taking communion? Trying to live a better life than the next guy? That's all well and fine, but none of that will get you to heaven. Your faith has to be in what Christ did to save you on the cross. And Paul here, he speaks in verse number 10. He says, admired in all them that believe because, notice this part, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You have to put it in context here. Paul came to Thessalonica, and he found no Christians. He found no church like this one. What he found was a bunch of pagan people, a bunch of heathen people, a bunch of Baal worshipers and emperor worshipers and worshipers of Diana and all kinds of false religions there. 
He didn't find any believers, and he preached the gospel. He preached Christ. He preached Calvary to those people, and those people had a choice, didn't they? They could say yes, or they could say no. They could say, I believe that, or they could say, I don't believe that. Same way today. You know, I was given a choice way back in March of 1981. Somebody presented the gospel to me, and I had a choice to make. You know, there are many people who do not choose Christ as their Lord and Savior, who refuse him as their Lord and Savior. They follow a false gospel. They follow follow a false religion. And they have not believed the truth here. Paul speaks of that. He, he said, I, I brought Christ to Thessalonica here. And he said, our testimony among you was believed. I believed it that night when I was presented it. I believed in the incarnation of Christ. I believed in his sinless life. I believed in his blood atonement. I, I believed in his death and his resurrection. I believed the Bible from cover to cover. And I, I believe everything it has to say. Have you believed the truth? Have you believed the gospel here? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a wonderful Savior today? Is there the Savior's wow in your life? We find, as Paul's describing him here, he's so different from the Savior who came to die for the sins of the world. We find his first time that he was despised and he was rejected of men. But Paul here speaks of him coming back again and being admired and being glorified and it all being about him and us bringing him glory. We find here that Paul is talking about Christ and how special he is. There was a dear woman years ago who had, during her lifetime, come to know the Lord and fall in love with his word and made it a point to memorize as much of the New Testament as she could. And she memorized quite a bit of the New Testament, but as she got older, her mind started to slip, and, and she started to forget parts of it. And then she got some form of dementia, and, and more portions of the Scripture fell away. And then she was dying toward the end, and, and she got down to where all she could, could remember was the book of Second Timothy. And, and as her days waned and she hovered between this life and the next, it got to where she could only remember one verse from Second Timothy, and it was in chapter 1 and verse 12. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And boy, day after day, she was quoting that to herself until she was forgetting the first part of it. And pretty soon she was only quoting the last part of it, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And pretty soon she couldn't remember the last part of it against that day. And finally, the day before she died, she was on her deathbed there and she was mumbling something. And her loved ones got around her and, and put their ear up close and said, Grandma, do you need something? And all they heard was one word coming from her mouth, him, him, him. She had lost the whole Bible except for one word, one person. And folks, the whole Bible is wrapped up in that one word, him, him. God give us a wow for him. We see, first of all, the Savior's wow. But secondly, in our passage here, we see the saint's worthiness. In verse number 11, Paul goes on, he says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Notice Paul says, we pray always for you. Paul made it a point to pray, not just when he was in a tight corner, but in a bright corner. Not just in a tight spot, but in a bright spot. And Paul said, we pray always for you. What did he pray for? Well, I see two things here in this passage he prayed for. 
And one is the saint's worthiness, for us to be worthy of such a, a Savior who marvels us. Now, let's back up and let's just build this thing line upon line, precept upon precept. In verse number 10, he talks about the fact Christ shall come and he'll be glorified in the saints and admired among all them that believe. And he goes on in light of that. Notice the wherefore in verse number 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you. He said Christ is coming back. He's going to be glorified in you. He's going to be admired by you. And, and as a result, we pray always for you. Why? That you would be found worthy of this honor. Worthy of this honor. Think of this honor here. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Think about the honor of us appearing with the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified state and in ours. The Bible says when we see him, we shall be like him. What an incredible honor this is to come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says appear with him in glory. You see, it all fits as we go back to the Gospels. In John 17, 22, Christ prays for his disciples. He says, in the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. We, he's talking here about this calling, this, this honor, and this glory. And we find in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, he said to his followers, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Imagine Christ sharing everything with us, all his glory, us ruling and reigning with him and owning everything with him. We find in Romans 8 and in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If you're a child of God, you're an heir. Everything Christ owns, you own. Bible says all things are yours. He's going to share all that glory. What a privilege and what an honor. See, the Bible says of Christians in verse number uh, 9 of 1 Peter 2, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of, his dark, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice how special it speaks of God's people here. And therefore, in light of that, here's the challenge. Bible says, And every man that hath this hope in him, Christ, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Here's a challenge, and I want you to take it today. Because holiness is really uh, the final end, the, the, the final goal of, of, of the Christian life, to be more like Christ. He has saved us, made us a special, chosen, peculiar people. And we have this hope of him coming back and us being with him and being like him and sharing everything with him. And the Bible says, and every man that hath this hope in Christ, in him, purifieth himself even as he is pure. You see, salvation is instant. Thank God for that. The moment your faith makes contact with the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're born again. Holiness is a process. It's a process. If you've been saved, the Son did his part dying for you. If you've been saved, the Father did his part drawing you to salvation. If you've been saved now, the Holy Spirit is doing his part in trying to grow you 
into the likeness in the image of Jesus Christ. That word worthy in verse number 11, I want us to see it again. Paul says, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this. What an honor this is. Now, I can't assume that every believer is worthy of this honor. We're not. In fact, Christ addresses a local church, Sardis, in Revelation 3, 4, and he says, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. God help us to be worthy of this. God help us to tap into that grace available to live the way we ought to, lest we've received the grace of God in vain. God help us to be worthy saints. Now, we find in verse 11 again, wherefore also, Paul says, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy, notice, of this calling, of this calling. That calling starts with salvation. It's a call to be saved, to be born again. We find in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, for you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's talking about the proud here. You don't see many of them coming to Christ, many of them getting saved. But there's that calling to salvation, and it's not because we are worthy of it. In fact, if you look at guys like Zacchaeus in the Bible, he was a crooked tax collector. If you look at gals like the woman at the well, she had lived a very stained life. If you look at self-righteous Pharisees like Nicodemus, he was hardly worthy of salvation. And you could go on down the line and look at guys like Paul who was a murderer, and you could look at the folks that there in, in Corinth, in that wicked town, and even the folks here at Thessalonica. These folks weren't worthy of salvation. The truth is it was all by God's grace that any of them got saved, and that any of us get saved. But let me just say, after we've been saved, after God has called us, there's a reason he wants us, and there's a reason we ought to be serving him in the local church. Notice behind me in 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, it says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Talking about a church body. And may I say, friend, God's placed you in this church body for a reason. He hath set you here to fulfill a, a particular purpose here. And, and I'm glad if you faithfully attend, but there's a higher calling than that. And I, I'm, I'm glad if you faithfully give, but there's a higher calling that, than that. There is an area that God wants you to serve in. It is a calling. And may I say it's a holy calling. We find in 2 Timothy 1.9, speaking of Christ who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. It is a holy calling, but it's more than that. It's a heavenly calling. We find in Hebrews 3, 1, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Christ Jesus. It's a holy calling. It is a heavenly calling. And thirdly, it is a high calling. We read in Philippians 3, 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A holy calling, a heavenly calling, a high calling. Do we see this calling as an important calling? You know, at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm afraid there are some of God's precious people who might be saying, what was I thinking? I had such an honor, such a calling, and I fumbled it. God help us to be worthy. We see the saints' wow and uh, Savior's wow. We see the saints' worthiness. But finally, we see the servant's work. 
Here's where we're going to talk about the Christian's assignment here. In verse number 11 again, it says at the end that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Notice it mentions here the good pleasure of God, the good pleasure of God. Do we ever consider God's good pleasure for our lives? I know we consider what we want to do with our lives, and we pray for certain needs that we want, but what is it that God wants for us? What is his good pleasure for our lives? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not what we'd order up. We find a man by the name of Eli who gets some really bad news in the Old Testament about what God's will is for his life. But I like what he says. He says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. In other words, whatever God's good pleasure is, whatever he wants, let him do whatever seemeth him good. We find David, a man after God's own heart, doing a foolish thing in the Old Testament, numbering the people, and afterwards he gets some pretty rough options as far as uh, consequences go. But I like what he says. Let God decide. What's his good pleasure? What is it he wants? Currently, I'm praying about something, a situation. And, of course, like so many things in life, I have my druthers. But that still small voice will say, but what about what I want? What about what I want? What is it that God wants? Let him decide. God decides in his goodness, and it's not always pleasant for us. and It's not always easy, but like we often sing, his way is perfect. His way is always perfect. And the psalmist said in Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. So really the question is, what is his pleasure? What does he want? Not what do we want here? And, and Paul's prayer for these people was that God would perform his good pleasure. Notice there in verse number 11, the good pleasure of his goodness. Notice he mentions also the work of faith with power, the work of faith with power. That's what he prayed for those folks. I'm sure they had physical needs. I'm sure they had monetary needs. But Paul prayed for them that they'd have a faith that worked with power. That's what we need as well, folks. And then in verse number 12, he says that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. He gives our Savior the full title there, Lord Jesus Christ. It's found hundreds of times, or at least a hundred times in the New Testament. Lord means sovereign one. It's the Greek word uh, karios. It means owner. That's what a Lord is, someone who is a master, someone who is an owner. In fact, Christ said in John 13, 13, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. He said, I am your Lord, and he is our Lord. Is he your Lord? Is he your Lord personally? There are some refer to him as the good Lord or our Lord, but is he your Lord? Is he your owner? We find some folks in Matthew seven twenty one. On judgment day, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, Christ says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Is he truly your Lord? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? But secondly, we find the word Jesus. 
Paul mentions the Lord Jesus. That word means Savior. It's uh, Jehovah is Savior, technically. And it was the name the angel gave to Christ there when he announced it there before the cradle in Bethlehem. His name should be called Jesus. It's the name that Pilate inscribed on the cross and said, this is Jesus of Nazareth. It's a stainless name. It's a wonderful name. And, and one day the Bible tells us this. In Philippians 2.9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He is the Lord. He is Jesus. Thirdly, we find here in our text the word Christ. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king. And, and Paul is so starstruck by it, he uses the whole title. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he mentions that in, in verse number 12. And then he adds that he may be glorified in you and ye in him. Glorified in you. Do we glorify Christ? You know, Christ takes note of those who glorify him. And we read this in John ten seventeen. He said, and all are mine, and, or all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Christ is glorified by our lives if you're a Christian here today. You know, I mentioned Handel a moment ago. Handel wrote the Messiah. They say that when it was finally uh, composed, and he spent weeks locked in and barricaded in his room without eating there, trying to compose this thing. And, and finally, when it was composed and it was performed, um, he, he was at the concert. Can you imagine him glorying in his masterpiece there? Can you imagine others like Beethoven glorying at a concert where they're playing his fifth or, or a Shakespeare uh, glorying in one of his masterpieces as they perform it there and he's written it here. But Jesus points to his beloved and says, I get glory from them. And we find here Christ says, and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. Christ is glorified by our lives. Do we reflect him? Do we give this world his image? Now, as far as a Christian's assignment, Bible says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That word there speaks of accolades, and it speaks of honor and credit and applause. And it says that everything we do with our lives is to bring God honor and applause and accolades and acclaim. And we read in Romans eleven thirty six, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. We are here to bring him glory. We are to be humble reflections of him. Do we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ to this world? Do we bring him the glory? Do his name? There was a, a pastor by the name of Belvedere. And he was dying of dementia, and he was on his deathbed, and he had gotten to the place to where he wasn't remembering anything. And a longtime preacher friend of his came to him and said, do you remember me? And the preacher looked at him, he said, who are you? And his own wife came in. She said, honey, do you remember me? He said, no, I don't know you. Well, that preacher friend said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And boy, the old preacher's face just lit up. He said, know him. I've known him over 50 years. Precious Savior, precious Savior. My only hope, my only hope. Folks, he is our only hope. 
Do you know him today? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? And if you have, are you glorifying him with your life? Are you honoring him? Are you reflecting him? Are you faithful to him? That is a Christian's assignment. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.